Hey guys, and welcome to a new episode. This is your host, Mohammed. We'll get started today with GI review. Probably the next few days, we'll talk about GI review. The first question, what is linitis plastica? This is a term that describes the stomach wall where there is diffuse thickening of the stomach wall and decreased luminal caliber. This is typically seen in cancer that involves the stomach. And as the term describes, it involves the almost the entirety of the stomach, so commonly seen in lymphomas. Next question is Borhave syndrome. This is a result of complete perforation of the distal esophagus can be seen in alcoholics. How do they show it? They show it on a chest radiograph where we have pneumomediastinum. If they did an esophagram, we will see extravasated water-soluble contrast material, typically seen on the left hemothorax, and that's typically where you see the tear. We can see gas or fusion in the um, in the pleura, so we can see uh, not only mediastinal gas, but we actually can see uh, left pleural effusion or even pneumothorax. Typically, we use water-soluble enema because we do not want to use barium if we suspect that there is a leak. Typical MRI features of HCC. There are a few features that are variable, meaning depend how aggressive the cancer is or if there is a hemorrhage, but there are classic features that are always present in HCC. Now, variable features include T1 signal characteristics. It can be hypo, iso, or hyperintense to liver parenchyma, and that depends on the fat content of HCC. If there is a hemorrhage or fat, it would be hyperintense on T1. Typically, you would expect it to be iso or hypo on T1. On T2, that is more classic. This is usually, HCC is typically hyperintense to the liver. Now, regenerative nodules, and this is important to distinguish because regenerative nodules are part of HCC tumorigenesis. Regenerative nodules are typically hypointense on T2, but HCC is hyperintense to the liver. Contrast enhancement, this is the most important feature, and it has a characteristic arterial phase enhancement, so it's intense on arterial phase and it demonstrate washout. Why it is intense on arterial phase? Because HCC preferentially uses arterial blood and there is more arterial supply in HCC and less portal or venous supply in HCC. And that's why we see arterial enhancement and portal venous washout, which are characteristic. If you start seeing slight increase in enhancement in the arterial phase and then intense enhancement in the portal venous phase, then you're not looking at HCC, you're looking at something else, which most commonly is cholangiocarcinoma. But again, you have arterial enhancement in HCC, portal venous washout, and you may or may not see capsular enhancement. And finally, diffusion restriction, HCC will restrict diffusion. To summarize the features of HCC again, most salient features on MRI are arterial phase enhancement and portal venous washout. and T2, hyperintense signal to the liver. T1 is variable, and finally, it restricts diffusion, but many other pathologies also restricts diffusion. What is phlegmon? This is a term that we use to describe localized area of acute inflammation in the soft tissue that has not yet become a organized fluid collection. If a phlegmon becomes an organized fluid collection, then it would be called an abscess. Again, phlegmon can progresses to form an abscess if it's not treated, but it's typically unorganized inflammation of the soft tissue can be seen in the appendix, pancreatitis, or any inflammatory process that involves the soft tissue. 
what is Ogilvy syndrome. Ogilvy syndrome is also known as acute in intestinal pseudo-obstruction, and it is characterized by loss of peristalsis in the right colon or even the entire colon, which result in diffuse enlargement of either the right or the entire colon based on what segment is involved. Typically seen in elderly patients or patients in rehab facilities, elderly patients in rehab facilities, and there would be diffused abdominal distension, and it is associated with antidepressant, anti-Parkinson agents, and narcotics. Again, it is not obstruction, and typically what we want to exclude, are the patient are obstructed, or do they have Ogilvy syndrome? Ogilvy syndrome can be chronic process and may even last for years. MRI features of hepatic hemangioma, typical descriptions are arterial phase peripheral discontinuous enhancement with progressive venous filling, the iso-intense blood, if it's on the arterial phase, the periphery would be iso-intense, portal venous phase, whatever segment, and there would be a central scar that does not display any enhancement. Again, we can have central scar in hemangioma, which does not display any enhancement. Arterial phase, peripheral discontinuous filling, and progressive filling on the portal venous phase. What is a colodoco seal? That is a type of biliary or colodocal cyst, typically is considered type 3 under the Todani calcifications. And this is dilation of the intramural common bile duct. When we say intramural, we mean the part of the bile duct within the duodenal wall. It's dilated, forms a cyst, and that is a colodocal seal, and it is classed or type 3. You're shown a CT scan with a pancreatic mass. In the mass, you see small cyst and large coarse calcifications. What is the diagnosis? This is a classic description for serous cyst adenoma. Again, serous cyst adenoma made up of small cyst and would contain coarse calcifications. This is described as the grandmother lesion. Features more consistent with liposarcoma over lipoma. Typically, calcifications would point you toward liposarcoma, soft tissue or adjacent structure invasion, again, liposarcoma, poor differentiation, liposarcoma, and finally, inhomogeneous attenuation, and there would be significant amount of soft tissue within the fatty mass that would also point you toward liposarcoma. So if it does not look like a well-defined fat lobule, now you're thinking of a liposarcoma. Most common causes for focal gallbladder wall thickening. Most common are hyperplastic cholestosis where there is cholesterol or fatty deposits within the gallbladder wall. Not going to go into how it happens. And finally, varices. Especially in cirrhotic patients, you can get gallbladder varices, which would be obviously vascular, but focal, think of varices and hyperplastic cholestosis. You can have neoplastic processes, would include uh, adenomatous polyp or gallbladder carcinoma. Classic imaging features of mucinous pancreatic neoplasms. Now, mucinous is the mother lesion. Typically, we have multiple cysts. Those cysts are large, meaning greater than two centimeter. They have malignant potential. This is the pancreatic neoplasm with most malignant potential, and it occurs typically either in the body or tail and has a capsule. Again, mucinous is the mother lesion, has cysts that are typically larger than two centimeter, can have malignant potential, and occurs in the body or tail. 
features defining unresectable pancreatic cancer. So basically what defines an unresectable pancreatic cancer is vascular invasion or metastasis. For vascular invasion, there are particular criteria that we need to pay attention to. Encasement of the SMA or the celiac trunk encasement refers to circumferential involvement greater than 180 degree. Involvement of the GDA does not preclude resection. This is because the GDA is removed during Whipple surgery. Extensive venous invasion, so mild venous invasion is acceptable for resection. Extensive invasion is not resectable. And finally, if there is distant metastasis, which we mentioned. Imaging features of mesoenteric or mesoenteroaxial torsion of the stomach. We said on multiple episodes that mesoenteroaxial refers to volvulus or rotation of the stomach on its short axis. Well, what does that mean? Meaning the axis of the mesentery is how the stomach will torse on. Meaning the most distal or most inferior part of the stomach, which is the antrum, will become above the GEG, uh, the esophageal-gastric junction. Again, mesoenteroaxial valvulus or mesoenterogastric valvulus, we have the antrum above the gastroesophageal junction. Properties of focal nodular hyperplasia. If we think of what is focal nodular hyperplasia, we can get its imaging characteristic. It is disorganized liver tissue. Now, this disorganized liver tissue would have imaging properties similar to liver parenchyma, except it's basically on steroids. So what we see, we see enhance during the arterial phase and washes out quickly. So it's difficult to even distinguish from normal liver parenchyma on these phases. Key imaging feature that is commonly described is the central scar in fobular focal nodular hyperplasia. As we described before, it is liver tissue basically on steroids. So even the scar is not really a scar, meaning not fibrous tissue, but rather it's made of bile duct and venules. Because it is made up of bile ducts and venules, it will demonstrate delayed enhancement. This is past the portal venous phase, meaning on the portal venous phase, we still get dark uh, appearance. But if we wait longer, we'll start to see enhancement in the scar. And it's important to distinguish this from the scar, which is seen in hemangioma and fibrolamellar hepatocellular carcinoma, particularly hepatocellular fibrolamellar hepatocellular carcinoma, the scar is really a scar, so it does not enhance. It's basically fibrous bands. No capsule, normal liver tissue, so it would have normal appearance, except maybe slight increased arterial enhancement and wash out slightly faster than no normal liver parenchyma. It contains liver cells, and because of that, we're able to see it on a high disk scan. It will uptake the radiotracer, and copper cells will uptake sulfur colloid, and so we'll see increased uptake of sulfur colloid in focal nodular hyperplasia. Diameter considered worrisome for cecal rupture in large bowel obstruction. If the cecum is greater than 12 centimeter, then we have a high risk of rupture. Importance of hepatic artery in transplant. So in a normal liver, we get approximately 60 to 70% of the liver supply from the portal vein. In a transplant patient, this role is slightly higher, but the key thing is biliary supply. Biliary supply in a transplant patient is strictly through the hepatic artery. So any hepatic artery complication, stenosis, thrombosis, will lead to biliary duct abnormality, and that's why it's very important 
to fix the stenosis or fix the abnormality in a transplant quickly. You're shown a fat-containing renal mass on a CT scan. What is the first thing that comes to your mind? Angiomyolipoma. Now, it is important to understand if the fat has calcifications, then we would be worried for H uh, for renal cell carcinoma. But if it does not have calcifications, this is a classic appearance of angiomyolipoma. What is gram patch? This is a surgical technique to repair a perforated ulcer in the duodenum where you take the mesenteric fat or the emmental fat and suture it over the perforated ulcer or the duodenal perforation in order for it to basically plug the hole. Again, gram patch, you take the omental fat and suture it over the duodenal ulcer or perforated ulcer. Imaging features of extramedullary hematopoiesis. What we see is proliferation of hematopoietic cells because the normal bone marrow is not enough to produce red blood cells. On imaging, what we see, we see paravertebral masses and possible rib expansion. The paravertebral mass is typically seen below T6 vertebral body, and the size can range from five to five millimeter to five centimeter. They don't have to be contiguous. They could be separated masses around the spine. Again, you're shown a thalassemia patient or sickle cell disease patient with masses around the spine. The first thing you think, should think of is extramedullary hematopoiesis. Gallbladder polyp management. Now there is a really gray area in terms of management and what is considered malignant and what's not considered malignant. Key thing to remember, if the patient has any risks of gallbladder malignancy, which we talked about before, and the size cutoff that you want to remember is a polyp, a real polyp, not a cholesterol deposit, a polyp that is greater than 10 millimeters. So one centimeter gets surgery. Less than one centimeter may be followed or may be left alone especially if it's smaller than half a centimeter. So one centimeter surgery, less than one centimeter, maybe follow up and less than five millimeter, typically nothing, but uh, there is no guidelines. Anatomy of the rectum. So the rectum extends 15 centimeter from the anal verge all the way to the sigmoid. That portion, the 15 centimeter length, is considered the rectum. The rectum is divided into three segments. Each of those segments are five centimeter in length. Starting from the most lower segment or the lower rectum, this is anything from the anal verge up five centimeters. So that area is very important for surgical. Any tumor in that area is important because of surgical management. They have to excise the entire rectum and the patient cannot get a anastomosis. Rather, they would have an end colostomy. This lies below the peritoneal reflection. So there is no peritoneum in that location. The metal rectum is five to 10 centimeter from the anal verge and it has peritoneal refraction extending along the anterior surface and finally the upper rectum which is 10 to 15 centimeter from the anal verge and it has peritoneal reflections covering both the anterior and lateral aspect of the rectum. The middle and lower rectum are both involved by the mesorectal fascia. Again, mesorectal fascia covers both the middle and lower rectum. The lower rectum is all in entirety lies below the peritoneal reflections. 
just quickly to comment on the surgical approach. We have two surgeries for rectal cancer. Now that's typically now after chemotherapy, which is changing guidelines. So patients will get chemo and radiation to shrink in the tumor, and then they get surgery for rectal cancers. Now, if the tumor lies in the lower rectum, which we said five centimeter from the anal verge, they will get APR surgery, which is the abdominal perineal resection. Sounds benign when compared to lower abdominal resection, but it's actually worse. So abdominal perineal resection would lead patients to get a permanent colostomy because we cannot use the anal verge as it might contain cancer. The other surgery that patient with rectal cancer gets is low anterior resection, and that's when the tumor lies in the middle or upper portion. And the name is confusing because low anterior resection for abdominal surgery for upper rectal cancer. Low anterior surgery, the bowel can be anastomosed to the lower rectum or to the anal verge because we have a hypothetically clean rectum from cancer. So we can attach the uh, anastomosed or surgically removed sigmoid and uh, upper rectum. We can then attach the descending colon into the lower rectum. So APR, worse surgery, permanent colostomy for lower rectal cancers, LAR for the mid and upper rectal cancers, and it, the bowel can be re-anastomosed and there can be preservation or there is preservation of the uh, anal sphincter.